Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. And uh, two months. Get that date on your calendar. And uh, I want to encourage you. Go, go to that Right to Life banquet. Give to them. Talk to Jeff. He'll give you a dozen other ways that you can get involved in helping to end abortion. And uh, that would be great. I had a weird dream last night. I, I was... I was Oh, I, I was hang gliding, which I've never done. I'd like to do. But I was hang gliding over a field, a, a farmer's field. But then it wasn't a farmer's field. Somebody was cutting really high grass. And as they, as they swept through the grass, I could see that there were some tools laying on the ground uh, that somebody had been using to fix a fence post, you know, with some wire. And so there were some pliers and some wires and some nippers and some other things. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking, they should have taken them back. They should be using them. <laughs> or they're going to want them when they need to do something. And then it occurred again. <laughs> um, another sweep of grass was... Uh, mowed, and underneath the mower, as the grass was thrown away, was more tools. It's a bizarre dream. <laughs> Never had anything like that uh, before. So I thought I'd just come in and share it with you. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it reminded me of something, a, a point I want to make in this message that we're going to look at when we're going to look at some. 144. And it is a psalm about uh, David is praying for a battle that he's about to go into. And, and David's battles, many of them, uh, were uh, physical. He was going against armies and the enemies of God. But even those battles were also spiritual battles because he was fighting for the armies of God, Israel. Now, most of our battles are not, uh, are not physical, you know, but we have spiritual battles all the time. And there are certain tools, there are certain things that you want to have when you go into battle. Like when you're trying to fix a fence post, you need to have certain types of tools to bend the wire and move the wire around and, you know, un, you know nip it off and all those kinds. Of, you need certain tools and certain other kinds of tools are not going to work. You need to have the right tools. And I thought as I woke up from that dream and I was thinking about this message and praying over this message, that maybe I would start right there. That this message about, that, that I've titled a, a spiritual warfare, warfare, warfare battle plan. Maybe I should have had a different title with the, my inability to get it out. Um, it is, is like that. There's some things in this psalm, I think, that help better prepare us for the spiritual battles of life. And there are spiritual battles of life every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. And so with that, would you stand? And I want to read just the first uh, four verses of uh, Psalm 144 as David begins his prayer. And he begins it this way. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war 
and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. God's word for us. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis said in, uh, I think it was in a screw tape letters, which is uh, many of you have read. It's a book that talks about uh, one devil is uh, a younger devil. An experienced devil is being trained by an older devil about how to capture your soul. And the whole book is letters that, that are written back and forth um, to, uh, the, between those two devils. And Lewis says at one point when, uh, when he was talking about this issue of spiritual battle and talking about uh, devils and the kinds of things that we face uh, in life, He said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, speaking of the devils, he says, are equally pleased with both errors. I remember when I was uh, on staff with campus, going on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ and raising support. I stayed, uh, I lived with a family for 11 weeks as I was away from my home in Philadelphia. I was down in Maryland. I was raising support to go on staff as a missionary with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, the, the woman of that per- household was a Christian um, uh, that, I, that I was staying with. And, uh, but she had, uh, as I came to see over that 11 weeks an unhealthy interest in devils everywhere you sat uh, on the table next to you uh, there was another book about devils uh, about uh, spiritual warfare about um, you know what where devils came from what devils do people's experiences with devils you need to go sit in another chair and there'd be another book over there and she was, she was in my opinion, she was majoring in devils and minoring on God. Now, we don't want to do that. We want to major all the time on God. But we want to be appraised in some way that there is a real spiritual battle. The New Testament talks about it. And, and the, the Old Testament references real battles between the forces of God and the forces of evil. We need to be aware of that. By the way, every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying a spiritual battle war song. When you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're praying for the destruction of everything raised up against the knowledge of God. That's what you're praying. And so, as I read this psalm, and I, David is, is, is saying, Lord, you're the one that prepares these hands. You're the one that prepares these fingers for battle. And he's asking God for, for help. And, uh, and so, 
I want to I remember that, and I want, but I want to make the spiritual transition because most of us are never going to have to pick up weapons, right? But we have to fight a spiritual battle every day. And the things that David says in this psalm, I think, are just as relevant for us who don't take, pick up physical weapons. So uh, Dan, uh, Abraham Kuyper was a, a theologian and a diplomat. Uh, I think he was Danish. I think he, I think he was Dutch. Kuiper, that makes sense. And uh, he said this, famous quote, there's not a square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus Christ, uh, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. Mine. And what, what Kuiper's talking about is that there is a battle going on for every square inch, you know, of the planet. Every square inch in your life, every square inch in your home. There's, Jesus wants to be, he is, but he wants to be acknowledged as Lord over every single square inch. So fighting spiritual battle is an important thing for us to know about. It's an important thing for us to learn. And so my first point is simply this, flowing out of this psalm, and we're going to uh, also couple with it Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 12 through 18, which I'll, I'll read in just a moment. But my first point is simply this, that um, I can remember how to use this um, and get it turned on. There we go. Remind your heart that he is your commander-in-chief. And you, and you know what? Uh, if you don't remind your heart of that, you, you, you will not live as if he is. It's real simple. And that's what David, I think, is doing in the first two verses when, when he talks about, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He's my steadfast love. And look at all the ways that he describes God. My steadfast love, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, the one in whom I take refuge, the one who subdues peoples under me. He's just, he's, he's, acknowledging, Lord, you, you're, you're this person. You're my refuge. You're the one who's my shield. You're the one who fights this battle. You're my steadfast love. Interesting, you know, that's the word chesed. You know, usually that's the word that God uses to describe his love for us, his loving kindness for us. David turns it around and says, you, you, you are my steadfast love. That's who you are. That's, that's how, how I define you. You're my fortress. You're my stronghold. And he, all he's doing here is he's reminding his heart, you're the commander-in-chief. You're the, you're the one that trains me for, for battle. And so my, my second point is, you know, by the way, the, the Lord of hosts, the, you, there, there's a book on my shelf. It's called War Psalms of the Prince of Peace. War Psalms of the Prince of Peace. And, and, and it, it talks about the, the psalms of what some people call the psalms of cursing or the, the imprecatory psalms of the Old Testament where, where the psalmist is cursing his enemies. And it's, sometimes it's hard for us to get our heads around that. In what way can we, can we pray those prayers in light of the New Testament? 
there's, there's a change that has occurred. And, and the, the whole point of the book is that those psalms are still, the, the sensibility behind those curses can still be prayed today because we fight against principalities and powers, against the, the, the enemies of God. And that's where I want to go, to Ephesians chapter 6. Because in the New Testament, we are told this in chapter 6, verse 12. Paul speaking. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not physically taking up arms against people. That you may be... Uh, 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 but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up, because that's true, therefore, here's what you should do. Here's what we should do. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Truth is important when you're fighting battles. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, living a righteous life is important when you're fighting spiritual battles. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Uh, to, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's, it's, this, it's this cry to make sure that when you're going through life, as you're going through life, make sure you have on the armor of God to fight the spiritual battles that you will be thrust into at various times in life for various reasons, and, and make sure that you're able to fight those battles in a way that brings honor and glory to God. I think that's what David is praying as he goes into a physical battle in Psalm 44. So my second point is this. He's, he first reminds himself that, uh, uh, remind your heart that he is your commander-in-chief. That's what David is doing there. But then secondly, before you go into the battle, let God train your heart for the battle. There's no sense as you read this psalm, as David is about to go into battle and he has to have his hands and his arms trained for battle, there's, there's, there's no sense of panic anywhere in the psalm. So let me ask you this, when you look at verses 3 and 4, why is it healthy in the next two verses after he acknowledges that God is the one who trains his hands for battle? God is the one who is going to prepare him for whatever he's going to face on the battlefield. God is the one who's going to prepare you and me for whatever we face uh, tomorrow, today, this afternoon, next week, next year. Whatever, whatever is going on in our life, God is the one who's going to prepare us for that. What is the advantage of what David does next in verses 3 and 4? Look what he says in, in verses, verses 3 and 4. He, he, he reminds himself of how small he is. 
O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? He's like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Why is it healthy to recognize our limitations before you go into battle? Do you ever think about that? I think sometimes, uh, uh, does the military um, do that? I think in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. Sometimes, some, some ways, we think of our warriors that, that are going into battle as we want them to go in confident and strong and, and, and know that they're equipped, that they have the right equipment, they have the right training, that there's no task that they're going to go, come up against that is going to be a, a problem for them. I think that's part of what we want them to know. But here's what every military strategist will tell you too. Don't underestimate your enemy. Don't underestimate your enemy. Make sure you know that he is strong. And David is just reminding himself that apart from the help of God who trains his hands for battle, he has no hope. And so he's going to trust in God. There's there's an advantage to David acknowledging that God is the one who he needs as he goes into battle. And oftentimes man, mankind, us, we as a species, are so full of ourselves and so certain of our strengths and uh, uh, that um, we need this reminder that we're unstable, we're short-lived, uh, and we, 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 we're here for a flicker of time. And so David says... Oh, Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man, he's a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. He's reminding his soul of the first two verses that compared to God, I need God in this battle. I'm not strong enough in this battle. I need him, and so do you, in whatever battle God calls us to uh, in the future. So remind your heart that he's the commander-in-chief do it regularly. He's the one whose will is supreme, not yours. He's the commander-in-chief, and he is the one that you need in the midst of the battle. Remind yourself before the battle's here, because the battle starts as soon as you wake up. In fact, oftentimes, I think sometimes it's during the night. It's raging pretty strong, and uh, and, and the evil one is trying to rob us of sleep or whatever kinds of thing, plant thoughts in our minds that maybe shouldn't be there. Third thing is there's a transition that occurs at that point. Right after he does those first things in, in the first four verses, he begins to talk about not uh, the, the before battle, but he begins to talk about the battle itself. And here, he's reminding himself, and I want to remind you, that what we need to do is we need to let God fight the battle. He's the commander-in-chief. He trains us for the battles that are coming. He knows, and we need to know, that we're really nothing without him. And then so, when we get into the thick of the battle, let him fight it. Let him fight it. And how does David do that? Well, look at verse verse 5. He goes on, he says this, "'Bow your heavens, O Lord.'" And come down, touch the mountains so that they smoke. 
flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from many waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Now, that's, that is, for, for me, that sounds like an echo of the Ephesians passage where uh, Paul talks about uh, the lies of the enemy. One of the things I notice in this, in this verse as he's, as he's now turning from a description of God but to a prayer to God is that he is bold in his request in the battle. Um, everybody knows that when a, a country declares war, And uh, sons, and in our time, uh, daughters, I guess, get, get called or deployed or sent into war. Every mother's, every father's heartbeat beats a little bit faster. There's some anxiety. Because we don't know if they're coming back. Everybody wants the war to end. And one of the things that you've you've probably heard this statement, that the first casualty of war is the truth. That's why in verses 8, he says what he says, whose mouth speak lies and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Look at verse 11. He's going to repeat it again in the next section. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood fake news in the Bible. It happens. Sometimes it happens innocently, but sometimes it happens purposefully, and even innocent ones and purposeful ones, they share this in common. They're both weapons of the devil, of the spiritual forces and authorities in high places that we don't see but are warring against us over every square inch of the, of the planet. So why would David want God to deal with the enemy's falsehood? And, 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 and he's, he's praying bold prayers. He say, when he says in, in, in verse 6, uh, or, or verse 5, Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch the mountains so that they smoke. Just, Lord, bring power. Bring your lightning here. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Touch the mountains so that they smoke in verse 6. The end of verse uh, 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 6. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me. He's asking for something that no warrior knows is ever going to, is, is guaranteed. No matter how good your training, some warriors don't come home. So he says, Lord, rout them. Bow your heavens, O Lord. Touch the mountains, make it. Give a demonstration of your power. And then he says his enemies are speaking lies. And that's part of how they're trying, uh, in in his time, his enemies were trying to um, destroy his work. Some of the spiritual battles that you're going to fight in the future will be predicated, will be built upon lies 
that people believe about you or think about you or conclude about you. Or, and and some, of them, some of it will happen really innocent, innocently and some of it will happen because of our own stupidity. I, 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 I'll give you a, a simple ca- case uh, here in our church. Uh, uh, there was one week I said something negative about President Trump. The next week I said something positive about President Trump. And both weeks I got complaints that uh, I, I, I shouldn't have said, and there were different people, different camps. And people draw conclusions and assumptions, and, you know, it, it happens. I, I'm just trying to be biblical. I, I said this at one point uh, in the history of the church. Some of you remember this. I said, there's, there, there's, there's, um, there's nothing in... Uh, how did I put it? Uh, I am absolutely thrilled that Hillary Clinton is not my president. Absolutely. Everything in my spirit is thrilled that she's not my president. Okay? There, and then I said, there is nothing in my heart that is thrilled that Donald Trump is. At the same time, I love some of the things that have happened in terms of, you know, appointments and judicial kind of things and some of the things that have happened in the... I, I love it, but I'm not going to be... I'm going to be biblical. There's... I, I haven't found anything in his character I like. And some will not like me for that. Some battles are worth fighting, some battles aren't. My point is not, not me. My point is, you're going to have the same thing in your life. There are going to be people that are going to judge you, misjudge you for a variety, wide variety of things. And when you're in those battles, you, you want to remember who your commander-in-chief is. You want to have asked him to prepare you for those battles. And, and third, you want to let God fight the battle. That may be the hardest thing to do. Some years ago, somebody wrote uh, an article criticizing um, John Piper and, uh, about something he had said about the tsunami that occurred at Christmas in, uh, in Indonesia. And, uh, and, and people were really taking him to task. Uh, on the internet, you know, it's just blowing up. And I, I wrote an article about it uh, based on my uh, personal knowledge of John Piper, my personal interaction with him, and my, my observing him. And, um, and I analyzed what, what John had actually said, and I compared it to how Jesus dealt with a situation, and John was very much like Jesus. In the, a tragedy had occurred... He didn't connect it to, directly to God's judgment, but he did say this. Here's what it should remind us of. All of us have very little time. That's exactly what Jesus did when somebody complained about him, and, and Jesus came back. His, you remember the Tower of Siloam, and, and it fell down? I tell you this. You should know this. Were they more evil than the others? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what you should conclude. You should conclude this, that you need to get right with God. 
And then finally, I, en I ended the piece, uh, and I need to learn from John Piper. <laughs> because I, 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 I ended the piece by saying this. Criticize them as much as you want. Fall in one camp or the other. But I guarantee you this. From my observation, you will hear nothing from John Piper on this. Because he never defends himself. He will defend the gospel. He will defend the teaching of the scripture. Personal attacks he will never defend. How many of you have, have become expert at that? I haven't. Let God fight the battle. That's what David's doing. He's calling God. God, you do this. You show, show yourself powerful in the midst of this. Fourth, sing God's praises after the battle. Because that's what happens. There's another change. There's another movement here in, in, this, in this psalm. And it, in verse 9, it, it turns, I will sing a new song for you. There's our phrase. That phrase that we've been tracing through the scripture, I, when, when, you've done, when the battle's over, I'm going to sing your praises. I'm going to sing a new song to you. I will sing a new song, O God, upon a ten-string harp. I will play to you. David, you know, played a harp. He played a lyre. And he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out the ten-string for this one. Why? Who gives the victory to kings, David's a king. Who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May, and then he starts talking about, now this is, this is what mothers want to happen when their sons go to war, right? Lord, bring them back. To end this war, give the victory, because here's what we want. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for, for, for the structure of the palace. It's, it's David saying, we don't, want to see, we don't want to see our sons and daughters on, on the battlefield. We don't want to see them strewn about. We, we want them to come home, and we want, the, want them to flourish. We want them to grow up and flourish and be a blessing to the world. It's one of the slogans we use with the kids. Be a blessing. You're going to visit somebody. Be a blessing to that family. Be a blessing to that family. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and tens of thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And Lord, that will happen when you've won the victory and we will sing your praises after the battle. Give us peace. What's implied if, let me ask you this, what is implied if after we've prayed for something, we've asked God to do something, and then he does the something, whatever it is, big or small, what is implied if we do not remember to give praise to him? What's What's implied? Yeah, yeah. we take credit. We won the battle. Who won the battle? And yet, 
oftentimes we are, we are just like that. We're like, we're like the, the battlefield atheist who prays for deliverance. Oh God, if you save me, if you save me, I'll serve you forever. God saves them. No life change. Because we don't really believe. We don't really give him praise and honor. By the way, there's a story about that. The, uh, Z- Zeffirelli, the, the, you know, he, he, he's praying in the song, God, save me, save me, I'll serve you forever. And then he becomes an alcoholic. He doesn't follow Christ. And finally, he comes to know Christ through Billy Graham. Finally. After not living a life of praise, but we ought to when God rescues us, when he saves us. I'm going to finish up here, but let, let me have the worship team come because I do want to uh, put you on stage here. We want, we want to sing God's praises at the end here. But I want to, I want to draw attention to the last verse uh, and also to the last verse in the Ephesians passage for this last point. Because not only should we sing God's praises after the battle, but we should begin to prepare for the next battle. And oftentimes, men and women, this is where many, 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 many of us fail. We, we go through the battle and it's like, it's done. <laughs> Glad I don't have to fight that now. There's another battle coming. It's just around the corner. Well, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for you, but I, I don't know what it is for me, but there's another battle coming. The evil one and his minions are relentless. They don't want to see the world saved. They don't want to see your sons and daughters saved. They don't want to see your mothers and fathers saved. There's, it is a relentless battle. In verse 15, when he talks about blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, there, there is an echo. As I read those verses, there's an echo of this, this Lord, I, I need to stay on task. I need to stay connected to you. I need to stay in an acknowledgement of you. And that's where the Apostle Paul goes in the last part of verse 18 in Ephesians, uh, in, in Ephesians 6. When he says this, praying at all times, that means all times in the future, all episodes in the future, all times, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, not just for yourself but for all the saints, including the ones who at times you think might be your enemies. But they're not. They're brothers. They're sisters. And they're, they're trying to help you. And sometimes it's awkward. But we should be praying for them and praying for us that we would fight this way. So what should you do? Quick applications. The worship team wants me to get off the stage. Um, so do you. And especially the kids. Um, three quick ones. Remind your soul of God's past rescues. That's one of the things. I mean, that's one of the ways you do. You, you hear a message like this, what should I do? Remind yourself, remind your soul of the past times where God has rescued you. Second, remember all five of these points. That's how I phrased them. I phrased them as applications. 
I did that for a reason. I'm trying to drive it home as much as possible. That's what you do. Let God fight the battle for you. And finally, don't run from the battles God puts before you. Don't run from them. Because though they're hard, though they're painful, though you may think that you're not going to come up out of that pit as you keep your eyes focused on Him, there is beauty from the battle in terms of what He will produce in us and through us in our character. Amen? Let's be warriors for Christ. Warring this way. For His glory, for our joy, and the joy of everyone who knows us.